Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Listen, we're in the book of Hosea. I know it's heavy, right? The first three chapters, we looked at kind of Hosea's personal life and what he'd been called to. He'd been called to, to go and to take a harlot as his wife, to take a prostitute as his wife. Why? Because God wanted to communicate to his people. This is how you're breaking my heart, right? And so he uses Hosea as an object lesson, a walking, breathing, living object lesson of his heart for his people. And every time you walk away from worshiping me, every time you chase after those idols, or you chased after those riches, or you chased after the things of the world, you're breaking my heart. It's like you're breaking the marriage covenant with me. And so the first three chapters, we looked at that. And in chapter four, there was a shift. There was a shift from looking at kind of Hosea's practical life now to looking at this judgment that God is proclaiming through Hosea to the children of Israel. Everyone would know, right? And so everyone understands what is happening. Everyone understands that this is coming. Everyone understands because Hosea's faithfully preaching the message of judgment, what God's intention is. But a lot of times I think we fail to understand why God does what he does. He's not just angry with you. That's not why he allows times of judgment and wrath to be poured out. He does that in order to grab our attention, in order to grab us by the shoulders and to shake us and to say, don't you see the direction that you're going? And if you continue to go this way, It's just going to be problems. It's just going to be pain. It's just going to be heartache. Eventually, it's just going to be death. So God allows these seasons of judgment. He allows these seasons of valleys. He allows these seasons of brokenness and heartache and trial in our lives because he's shaking us by the shoulders and he's saying, wake up, my people. Wake up, you're not ready. Wake up, you haven't been faithful. And so I want you to know right off the bat, and I think Pastor Walt would agree with this, this would be his heart as well. When we prepare messages like we have to share today, we have to use the scalpel of God's word on our own hearts first. And it's difficult to preach on judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. But you know what? This is what God's word says. We're just reading this from the first verse of Hosea chapter one until the end. And it just so happens that this was God's heart for his people. We have to take that scalpel on our own hearts first. We have to say, Lord, there might be areas in my own heart that need to be cut away. There might be things in my own heart that are unpleasing to you. There might be things in my own heart that I'm struggling with or that I need to release or that I need to surrender. And so the God's word is active, it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it bears open and raw and exposed the thoughts in the intents of the heart. It looks right down deep inside of us. And so before the preacher gets up to preach from Hosea, he should have taken the scalpel to his own heart first. The scripture says in James that God's word is like a mirror. That He says the person who is a hearer of God's word but not a doer of God's word, that person is like the person who looks into the mirror and he sees all of the imperfections. Sees the circles under his eyes or the spinach stuck in his teeth or the gray hairs in his beard or the hairs that are out of place, if you have any hair, right? He sees all those imperfections and he walks away and he does nothing about it. That's the same thing. That's the same kind of person, right? 
that listens to God's word, is challenged by God's word, the scalpel is released upon the heart and walks away and doesn't change a thing. It's as ridiculous as looking in the mirror and understanding that you need to make sure that you're dressed properly, that you look presentable before you go out the house, but you don't do any of that. You walk out looking like a fool. And James says that's the same way when you hear God's word and you don't apply God's word. So Father, we pray today that as we apply your word, as we read this, Lord, that we would apply this, that this would be a scalpel. We surrender these moments to you now, the next few moments to you now. God, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you can relate to this mother. She spent the entire morning feeling rushed and disheveled. She felt like she couldn't do anything right. The kids wouldn't get out of bed. She had forgotten to lay out the lunches the morning before, so she's felt rushed all morning long. She barely makes it outside the door. She drops the two older kids off at school. She thinks maybe finally things are gonna look a little better. And then she remembers, you know what? I forgot the grocery list at home. She says, well, you know what? I don't wanna go back home. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna go with it. I'm just gonna go for it. So she makes her way to the grocery store. She comes into the grocery store and it's crowded and bustling with people. And she's distracted because she forgot her list. And she forgets that her little four-year-old little boy was holding her hand when she came into the store. And in the midst of the chaos and the commotion and the disheveledness of her day, she remembers, where is Adam? And in a frantic, everything goes quiet in the grocery store. She's got tunnel vision in that moment. All that matters is finding where her little boy went. And so she's calling out all throughout every aisle, looking up and down, Adam, 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 where did you go? Adam, where are you? Adam, and finally, she turns the corner and there he is hiding from her. You know, hiding behind one of those racks and inside the clothing, there he is peeking his little head through, looking at his mom, thinking that this is all just a grand game. He's having the grandest time, but the mother is so stressed. Her heart is so grieved. Her heart is pounding. She takes a knee, she stretches out her arms, and she says, come to me, Adam. And what does he do? He runs off to find another aisle, to find another clothing bin to hide within. He's just running from his mom. He thinks it's just a game. Maybe you can relate to having that feeling before, but this is what the Lord would want you to hear this morning, is that this is what God feels towards you all the time. You remember in the garden, everything was just as it should be. And the scripture actually says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden in the middle of the day. There was a relationship there. There was a closeness there. There was an intimacy that was there. They enjoyed, Adam and Eve enjoyed God's presence. That was the way that it was supposed to be. One day, God comes walking to the garden and he's calling out to Adam. Adam, Adam, where have you gone? Adam, I can't find you. Adam, where have you wandered off to? Finally, they find them and they're covered themselves with fig leaves and he comes and says, what, where did you go? And he says, I was ashamed because I was naked and so I hid myself from you. I went to hide from you. And God pursues Adam and he says, these coverings won't do. So the scripture says that he takes some animals and he fashions clothing from the skins of the animals and he clothes the nakedness, the shame of Adam and Eve, but there's an intimacy that is lost there. And all throughout the scripture, 
Whatever you're reading is all a story of God trying to pursue man, trying to bring him back into that place of connectedness and intimacy, trying to restore what was stolen, what was forfeited at the original fall in the garden. Are you following with me? So in Hosea chapter seven, it's really nothing different. This is the same story that we're hearing. And yes, it's in the midst of judgment, but I want you to read this with me. We actually have to take it up at the end of Hosea chapter six. These should really go together. Man put these chapter and these verse breaks together, but really this goes together. So look at what this says here. Hosea chapter six, verse 11. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. This is speaking of judgment. There's a judgment that's going to come. But look at what God says. When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, he, he has a desire to restore the fortunes that Israel had forfeited. He has a desire to restore what the enemy has stolen. He has a desire to restore what man forfeited and laid down there in the garden. All he wants to do is to restore this. Notice, I want you to see there, it says, when I restore. It doesn't say, if I restore. It says, when I restore. And when God speaks a word, it will come to pass. When I restore the fortunes of my people, it is going to happen. This word restore in the Hebrew, it's sub in the Hebrew. And it means to bring back to a once favorable state, that this, this favorable state, this relationship was broken, it was severed, but it means to bring that relationship back. It means to enjoy that intimacy once more. It means to bring you back into the cool of the garden in the middle of the day. God says, I want to restore that. I want to go back to those days. It never should have been like this. You should never feel lonely. You should never feel separated. You should never feel aching inside of your spirit because you feel like there's something missing. You should never feel like you cannot hear the voice of God. That was not what God intended. And now God says, I want to restore that. I want to put things back the way they were meant to be. When I restore the fortunes of my people. See, there's this amazing blessing that the priests were instructed uh, by the Lord to say over the people. And you can find this in Numbers chapter six. And this is such an incredible prayer, incredible blessing that the priests would pray over the people. It, it's become a song that we sing even here in the local church, the modern church today. But this is what the, the blessing, this is how the blessing goes. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. In Isaiah chapter 59, this is what it says about our sin. It says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. There is no more intimacy in the garden. You're no longer walking together. Now there's a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates. Sin causes this huge cavern to grow in our hearts and we're lonely and we're lost and we're empty without the Lord, but it wasn't to be so. Your sins have separated you from your God and it's caused him to hide his face. There's no blessing. God's face is not shining upon you when you're wandering and lost in your sin. Understand the significance when Jesus goes to the cross and he allows himself to be beaten and bloodied and to hang upon that cross. And upon that cross with his arms stretched wide, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
In that moment, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be righteous in the eyes of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And the scripture says that God is more holy than to even behold evil. And so in that moment, as Jesus takes upon the sins of the world, the father turns his face away in that moment from Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus senses and knows and understands that that blessing, that that intimacy, that that relationship has been lost as Jesus takes my place and your place upon that cross in horror, he cries out, my God, my God, where have you gone? You've taken your presence from me. You've removed your hand of blessing. Your face is no longer shining upon me. And I feel so separated, so alone, so afraid. I'm in horror upon this cross. Jesus experienced that for you. That was what I deserved. That was my cross. Now the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, it says, remember that you were at one time, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You're Sin separated you from God. You were hiding in the garden. You were not walking with the Lord. Your sin has separated you from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That word to bring, to be brought near, it means to be brought in close once more that even though you wandered away in the grocery store, even though you were hiding in the rack of clothing, even though you thought it was a game and the Lord calls out to you, finding, wanting to find you, wanting to restore that intimacy and that relationship with you, even though you were so far from him, but Jesus comes, sheds his blood so that you can be brought close once more, close into the bosom, into the heart, of God. Now this cannot happen. This closeness cannot be restored. This intimacy cannot be restored unless you're willing to repent of your sin today. Every message that I preach, I preach the message as though this might be the last time I ever preach. I don't have the luxury, we don't have the luxury as preachers today to build upon a sermon from last week and say, you know what, I'm gonna finish this off next week. We don't have that luxury because I'm not sure that you'll be here next week. So every single week, I want you to hear, you need to repent from your sin. You need to turn from the old life and turn to God. And if you're willing to turn from the old man and come into newness of life, God wants to return to you the fortunes that you forfeited in the garden. Listen to what this says in Acts chapter three. Peter's preaching this first sermon and it's like, man, Peter, this must have been just, just trapped and cooped up in your heart for so long because he lets people have it, right? And he says this, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We're gonna look at blotted out a little more later on. The times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter says, listen, you need to turn from your sin. And understand this, the word in, in Hebrew and the word in Greek, there are subtle differences between the two words. In Hebrew, to repent means to have a change of action. 
It means to stop doing something that you used to do. You stop doing that. You're not going to do that thing any longer. But in Greek, there's more of a depth even to the word in the Greek. And it doesn't just mean to have a change of action. It means to have a change of attitude. See, understand this. When my children were little, I could go into the rooms and I could look around and I could see, man, this room is a mess. And I could tell them, you need to clean your room. And because I'm their father, you know what they're gonna do? They're going to clean the room, right? Now, did they have really a change of attitude? No, they changed their action because I told them, look, you gotta do this, right? That's kind of like the Hebrew form of repent. I'm gonna change my action. I'm gonna change my lifestyle. I'm gonna change what I've been doing. But in the Greek, it means even deeper to have a change of attitude. It's that time when your children become old enough where they look at their room and they think, I don't wanna live this kind of filthy lifestyle anymore. I wanna clean my room on my own. You see the difference? There's a depth that is there that has to be applied. And so both are necessary. You have to turn from what you used to do, but you have to have a change of thought about who you used to be. You have to change your thinking. That's why Paul says to the church in Rome, he says that we should not be conformed to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That the things we used to desire, they detest us now detestable. I could never imagine following after that kind of sinful lifestyle, those sinful things. I no longer have an appetite for the things of the world. Not just that I'm no longer going to engage in sin, I no longer desire the sin. Do you see? This is what Peter's saying in this. He's saying, you need to repent. You need to have a change of mind and action in what you've been engaged in. And he says, if you will do this, then times of refreshing will come in the presence of the Lord. This word refreshing In the Greek, it means to have relief, to feel a sense of relaxation. I don't know where you're at this morning in your spiritual walk, in your walk with Christ, but maybe you feel a little on edge. Maybe you feel uneasy. Maybe you have a lack of peace. Maybe you feel like your life is in turmoil. Well, God's word says if you repent from your sin, and here's the thing. We think of sin and we think, oh, you know, addiction, or lust, or you know, lying, or being greedy, or those types of things, but it can be subtle things like unforgiveness, or anger that you're harboring onto, or even a lack of faith in God performing what he says he's going to do. We need to repent from all of those sins, and if we will leave those sins in a review mirror, if we'll leave those in the past, if we'll let the old man be dead, God will bless that kind of attitude, that change of heart, that change of mind with his presence and time of refreshing will come. You'll find relief. You'll find relaxation. The word is even more descript than that because it means to be able to catch your breath. Think about that just for a moment. Repent. Stop trying to live like you wanna live and just do things the way God has called you to do things and finally you'll be able to catch your breath. If you're tired of running in the rat race, if you're tired of being stuck in the rut, if you're tired of the same cycles of sin over and over and over again, you can catch your breath if you will repent. You'll find the presence of the Lord waiting for you. Now he goes on, he says that there's a refreshing that happens, but did you get it there? Because this is really the hope of all of the scriptures. This is what we are all hoping for. He says this in verse 21 of that same verse, Acts chapter three. He says, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This word, to restore all things, it means to return to a previously good state. Did you get there? Again, look at what it says, the text that we're looking at in Hosea. When I restore the fortunes of my people, 
in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it means the same thing, to bring back to a formerly enjoyed state of relationship, intimacy, to come back into the garden. The restoring of all things is going to happen one day. And you can read this later for sake of time. I'm not gonna ask you to turn there, but write this down. Revelation chapter 21, verses three through five. And when you read that later on, what you're going to see is that God, Jesus himself makes a promise there. And he says, there's gonna come a day where there'll be no more weeping and no more sorrow and no more pain. Why? Because I'm coming and I'm coming to make all things new again. I'm gonna restore things. I'm gonna put things back the way they were meant to be. I'm gonna bring you back into the garden. You're gonna enjoy that fellowship and that intimacy once more. In Hosea chapter seven, he says, when I restore the fortunes of my people, the word fortunes, it can mean property, it can mean assets, it can mean wealth. And what God is saying is I wanna restore, again, I wanna restore that garden to you. It was forfeited, it was surrendered. I want to give it back to you. Specifically with the nation of Israel, he's talking about land because they're gonna lose their land and he's gonna give them their land back. But spiritually, he's speaking about that relationship back walking in the midst of the garden in the cool of the day, right there with the Lord side by side. He wants that for you and for me. He says, I'm gonna make that happen. I'm gonna restore those fortunes. And this is the hope that we have in scripture. You can read this later on as well. Joel chapter two, read the end of Joel chapter two. And in the book of Joel, again, it's another prophet that is sent by the Lord who is preaching judgment that be careful because God's judgment is going to come down upon the people. And it actually is very specific. And the word says that God is gonna send locusts to destroy your crops. You'll have nothing left. You will be destitute and desperate. But he says this, but understand there will come a day when God will restore all that every locust has eaten, all that was lost and all that was forfeited and all that was surrendered, God will come and he will undo what was eaten by our sin. Let me say that again because maybe you didn't grasp that. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're struggling with sin and you felt the loss of sin. Maybe that loss is a loss of relationship Maybe that loss is a loss of worldly goods or possessions. Maybe that, that loss is just a separation that you feel from the Lord or you don't feel connected with people. Well, God is going to. One day, when you come and you surrender, you repent, you leave the old, you come back into his presence, God will restore all that your sin has ever eaten away. He alone is able to do. You can't do that in the flesh. You can't muster that up in your own strength. Only God can restore what the enemy has stolen. And there's coming a day when it's going to happen. The restoring of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming to do just that. So here, praise God. When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, the word would there is really a desire. I have a desire to heal my people. The word means to mend a broken bone to set a broken bone, to cure that which had been broken. Flashback last week, if you will, with me. You're, you're there already in Hosea, if you have your Bibles open. Look at what Hosea chapter six, verses one and two says. It says, come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he will what? That he will bind us up. Again, the word heal means to mend a broken bone. He's torn us down, but he will bind us up. Here's the beautiful 
promise that we have in Scripture. And, and I wish I could have been there for this. This is one of those moments when I read in Scripture that really comes to life for me. And I feel like, man, I wish I could have been there to see this. But in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gets up in the midst of a synagogue setting. He's there in this synagogue in this city. And I can imagine that the place was jam-packed for this particular day. Because word had already traveled that Jesus was there this day. And Jesus gets up from where he's seated. He comes, he opens a scroll. And he opens the scroll to the book of Isaiah. And he reads from the book of Isaiah. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to what? To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison doors to those who are bound. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.